Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini and this is Parent Stories number 3. We're continuing our occasional series of interviews that focus on parents who have special needs kids that are older, teenagers and adult children. I believe it's good to talk to parents who've been through a lot with their kids already so that way we can learn from their experiences. Our guest for this episode is Jenny Moo. Her daughter Kala was born with cerebral palsy and was later diagnosed with epilepsy. Jenny talks about the struggles that Kala has with getting through what would be normal tasks for most people, as well as the scary situations when Kala has epileptic seizures. Jenny also talks about getting the right kinds of help for Kala and the difficulties of getting insurance coverage. We started off with Jenny talking about the challenges they had when Kala was born. Uh, Kala had a difficult delivery, and we knew um, within about an hour or so that she had suffered brain damage. And we were fortunate in the sense that her hospital was part of a study um, for a cool cap, and she qualified for the cool cap, and so she was part of that. Uh, she had her brain cooled for three days after birth, with the idea being that um, there's kind of a preliminary brain damage that happens with the lack of oxygen, mm. and then the cool cap, there's a secondary damage that happens when it happens afterwards, and the cool cap is designed to kind of minimize that secondary damage. Mm -hmm. And so we have no way of knowing, but we really think that that has made a difference with Cala's abilities. Um, we've been told by different neurologists that she's a kid whose ability doesn't really match her MRI. Um, so we think that, yeah, we think that that was something that was really helpful for her. Oh, wow. um, but she, she was diagnosed with CP when she was eight months old. Um, she's been receiving different types of therapies for most of her life. Um, she had her first seizure when she was five years old mm. and diagnosed with epilepsy when she was seven. Because that was when she had her second seizure. So she's been on medication um, for epilepsy since she was seven years old. Wow. And that's made quite an impact on, obviously, for you and your family. You know, there was a time with her epilepsy when she was having seizures often enough that we we're very nervous about um, about traveling anywhere. So we were worried about going somewhere overnight, because her seizures happen at night, um, and not being close to a hospital in case she needed um, some emergency help. Mm. So for about two years there, we really just stayed close to home, and I had a monitor in her room so that I could hear her if she had a seizure at night, and that was yeah, that really kind of affected what our, we could do as a family. Yeah, I'll bet. Now, has her condition gotten worse or better, or is it mostly unchanged over the years? Well, with CP, uh, CP one good thing about CP is that it's static. It doesn't really change over time. Oh, that's good. Uh, so with Kala, when she has skills, we really don't have to worry about her losing those skills, which which is a relief, you know? Yes. Um, the thing that she does need to be sure to do with CP is just to kind of stay flexible because her muscles can just tighten um, part of CP is kind of abnormal muscle tone and so we do with therapy and just with her daily activities we need to make sure that she's not getting too tight mm -hmm. in some muscles um, with epilepsy that is that was scary for me when she was diagnosed with that because it is more of an unknown um, and it is something that can change over time and so with her it took a couple years before we got a medication for her that was effective. Um, and then once we did, 
she's actually been seizure-free for four and a half years or so. Um, So that's been something that's been a real relief. We do know that she's still at risk for seizures, so we do still have her on medication. uh, But it's something that our family's been able to relax with a little bit. Oh, that's good. That's great, too. You know, there there are many degrees of severity for uh, CP, and there's lots of therapies that can help. But what are some of the ones that worked uh, better for Calla? Um, like I said, Calla did start with, she started with early intervention when she was, when she was a baby. She was eight months, or I'm sorry, five months old when she started with early intervention. And even at that age, she started with speech therapy and occupational therapy and physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And those were the three therapies that she's really continued for most of her childhood, um, through early on, through uh, when she got a little older, through the school districts, and we've done some private speech therapy also. Mm-hmm. She kind of graduated from PT and OT um, in elementary school. She's still doing speech therapy. Huh. So for her, speech therapy has been really kind of the big one. Um, she's 13 now, and her speech is still uh, still hard to understand sometimes. Mm-hmm. And part of that is... Um, a stutter, which we think might not even be related to her CP. We think it might be more of a family thing because there's a family history of stuttering. Ah, okay. And unfortunately, it's all kind of made worse by the fact that she has um, some other speech issues due to her CP. Right. And I, I imagine, too, it becomes difficult when, as a teenager and a typical kid, she gets excited and uh, mm-hmm. wants to say things and it doesn't come out right. And there's. Yeah. That, that that can happen even with kids who uh, are uh, typical and then to have that condition on top of it. Yeah, and that's really when her speech becomes hardest to understand is when she's excited and trying to speak quickly and, and yeah, not, you know, paying as much attention to um, the things she needs to do to make her speech clear. Mm-hmm. But for Calla, her CP is really quite mild. Um, she has never needed any orthotics. She's never needed any kind of assistive devices for getting around. Um, and she, her CP is, does, however, affect, affects everything. So it affects all parts of her body. It affects her fine and gross motor skills and, of course, her speech. And I think that that combination of kind of global um, effectiveness, but mildly so, kind of uncommon from what I know of people with CP. CP is really an umbrella condition. There's so there's so many different types of CP and different ways that people are affected. And um, for Cal, I really think that her experience with the cool cap has made her CP less severe than it otherwise would have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting combination that it affects everything, but it's mild enough that she still is able to do a lot of things. Right. Well, let's go with uh, another uh, uh, part of this is what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people might have when they find out that Kala has CP and how her conditions are affecting her? And I don't know that people, I don't, I, this is a hard one for me to answer. Hmm. I feel like I don't know if people have a lot of misconceptions for her. I think that um, we've had a few incidents with kids calling names um, and being a little cruel, but for the most part, kids have been really pretty accepting of her. Um, We've had, really, I can only think of one incident with a teacher where the teacher was just 
really unhelpful and um, didn't seem to understand that just telling Kala to work harder or telling me that she should try harder was not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the most part, I think her teachers have really, um, you know, they have appropriate expectations for her and they're willing to, you know, make accommodations where necessary. But in general, I think it's, we've really had a positive experience with her teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how, um, I don't know how many people actually know that she has CP, to be totally honest. Wow. Because it's not something that's, I think, physically immediately obvious. Because she doesn't have, she doesn't need a walker, she doesn't have any kind of, um, you know, physical, uh, I guess it's not that obvious that she has a physical disability mm-hmm. from first glancing at her. Um, and I think that people who who have observed her for some time might realize that because she, you know, she wears a life jacket when she's swimming and she has a three-wheel bicycle. And I think that there are probably some parents who think that I'm just kind of a crazy overprotective mom because <laughs> I was always the mom on the playground who was, like, standing beneath her, helping her get up the ladder, you know? Right. Um, but that's just, she just needs a little extra support with some of those things. Okay. Um, now, how about the epilepsy part of her condition? This, you know, some people still don't quite understand uh, what happens with epilepsy, the difficulties that occur, and uh, how this can affect the kids overall, and, you know, why this is uh, such a situation. Okay. And again, I'll say that epilepsy is, um, has so many different types. There's many different types of seizures. Right. Um, and for Cala, the seizures that she has have happened mostly at night. Uh, they occur during sleep transitions. Mm. And they are uh, actually hard to stop. Uh, some seizures will just stop on their own after a couple of minutes. Callas, the ones she has at night have never stopped on their own. So she needs to be given an emergency medication mm. to stop her seizures. And so for us, um, that has made some, some things stressful for her. Like I said earlier, um, I had a a baby monitor in her room for many years Mm -hmm. so that I could hear her if she had a seizure. She and her twin sister shared a room for many years, and so for her first two seizures, we only knew about it because her sister came out and told us that that Cala was sick. Uh And so for her sister, that ended up, especially when Cala was having more frequent seizures, um, that ended up being something that was really causing her some anxiety. And that was something that we had to address kind of separately for, for her sister. Right. Um, and, it, of course, it makes it difficult for us to do things away from home. Um, Cala doesn't have sleepovers at friends' houses because even though her seizures are now controlled with medicine, it's still something that I kind of worry about. Like, what if it happens when she's at a friend's house? Right. So that's something that she doesn't do. Um, she's gone to some camps. Um, the fifth grade camp, we've done Girl Scout camp, but I'm always there with her. Um, so this summer she's actually going to have her first experience at a sleepover camp without me because there is a camp for kids with epilepsy. And so there will be, they have neurologists uh, at the campsite. There will be an adult um, in the cabin with her, an adult who knows what to do if she has a seizure. Um, Mm-hmm. So that's something that she's 
pretty excited about. Yeah, I'll bet. That must be, yeah, that must be also, you know, the sleep deprivation, not uh, obviously for her, but also for the family when that kind of thing occurs, too. That can add to the stress, I would imagine. It can. It can. And, it, you know, we've had ambulances come to our house in the middle of the night, and that's it's hard on our other kids. Um, it is something where I, you know, spend a lot of time just kind of with one ear towards the monitor and kind of in a state of being half awake so I could listen if something was happening. Mm-hmm. And, of course, with any kind of epilepsy, you have to be careful around water. Um, she has had a, a couple of seizures during the day. Um, if that, you know, so there are just general safety things that we kind of already do because, um, because we're safe people. But right. also because, because of her CP, she needs some kind of, she needs some extra things. Like she's, when she's riding a bike, she of course always wears a helmet, but she also has a three-wheel bike because we know balance is hard for her. Right. But that's something that parents of kids with epilepsy have to be aware of, that a seizure could happen when they're on a bike and they have to be um, kind of aware of what could happen. Right, right. So just a lot of things that you have to keep on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of help uh, was she able to get through special education in your school district? I know you talked about PT and OT. Mm-hmm. Was there um, mostly speech therapy? Was there Were there any uh, challenges there or major problems or did they, did they go pretty good? I think our experiences with school have been, have been pretty good. Um, there's, there seems to be a lot of turnover with staff, and I, mm-hmm. maybe turnover is not the right word, but just maybe reassignment within the district. Right. So with her six years in elementary school, she worked, I think, with three different occupational therapists, with two different physical therapists, with maybe four different speech therapists. Mm. So it's just, like, that can make it hard to continue her therapy because there's just there's a lot of change and every year she needs to get to know somebody new right um, but in general I think that we've been pretty pleased with with the services that she's received there mm-hmm. um, she did when needed um, she also had some spent some time with a social worker she was having just some frustration um, and some challenges with just dealing with when things were, when her schoolwork was hard. Right. Um, and so that was helpful, too. Um, we also, for some time, tried to get speech therapy through a hospital um, and using our family's insurance, and that was really a challenge. Um, that's been one of the biggest challenges in terms of her therapy is just getting, trying to get coverage for speech therapy. Oh, yeah. Well, trying to get coverage for almost anything these days can be a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really frustrating. Um, we had, we had coverage through our kind of our first insurance, and even though we had coverage, it was still it was every month that they would deny it, and I would call them and I would tell them, "No, you do cover this," <laughs> and they would say, "No, we don't." And I would say, "Yes, you need to look at this tab on your computer." And you'll see that it is covered. And they would look at that, and they would say, oh, we do cover it. Let me put a note here so that next month you don't have to deal with this. And I'd say, okay, sure. I'll talk to you again next month. Right. Um, so that was really frustrating. And then one month our insurance just changed, and they decided that they were no longer cover CP. I'm sorry, they would no longer cover speech therapy for children with CP. Oh, jeez. Regardless, 
um, of how many phone calls or how many letters they wrote. So that was that was hard, and we did stop her speech coverage for a while because speech therapy without insurance is really expensive. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, and I regret that. I wish that we had continued with that because that was when she was four or five years old. It was a time that, you know, it really would have been a good time to be really working on speech as much as possible, um, but it just was not something we could afford to pay for out of pocket. Right. Right, and it's it's getting uh, it's getting harder every year too with the way things are going. That uh, to be able to get the right kind of uh, help and the right kind of coverage, it seems like it's almost a full time job. It did, it and it was just for speech. And I just kept thinking, what if she needed more than this? Like at that time, we were we were happy with the PT and the OT she was getting through the school district. And it was really just speech that we wanted more work on. And I thought, what if I needed to do this for everything? It would just be it would be overwhelming. Oh, yeah. It was already just exhausting to try to deal with trying to get speech coverage. Yeah. Yeah, I'll bet. Jeez. Um, now, you mentioned to me that you took a class a few years ago that changed your perspective as far as uh, being a parent and all that. Can you tell us about the class and what it's done for you? Yeah. It was um, It was a class that I took actually to renew, to renew my teaching certi- certification. Hmm. Um, it was a class about inclusion in the classroom. And so I'll admit that I took it because as a parent of a child with special needs, it, it interested me um, probably more as a parent than as an educator. Right. And I tried to approach it as an educator, but it's <laughs> been a lot of years since I've actually taught in a classroom. And so my, you know, the majority of my experience with that is as a parent. But I just found it really interesting that the professor of the class talked a lot about um, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but he talked a lot about kind of a social model of, um, of disability. And so what he meant by that is really that there are, there are disabilities, there are people who have disabilities um, of different kinds, but a lot of what we perceive as disability is really just um, kind of a mismatch between what our society expects of people and what individuals can actually do. So that the problem is not necessarily that there are people um, in wheelchairs. The problem is that we don't have enough things set up to accommodate them. And it just was, a, I just, I, I don't think I'm explaining this very well, but it was just kind of an interesting way for me to look at it, that, the, that we shouldn't be asking necessarily people to fit into what, what we've built here. We should be building things that will fit with, what everybody needs mm-hmm. because because disabilities are a fact of life you know whether it's through birth or through illness or through accident or through age every family at some point is going to have to deal with some different type of physical need right right and so we should be we should be structuring things that accommodate that all the time and not act like it's a huge deal to have to build a wheelchair ramp you know or to do whatever it is that we need to do. And so for Cal, Cal is not in a wheelchair, so that's not something that, that doesn't directly affect us there. But it just made me think, like, instead of, you know, when she struggles with something, instead of thinking, oh, there's another thing that we have to work on, why am I not thinking, like, what kind of product can I get for her that will make this easier? Right. And that class just kind of helped me shift my thinking a little bit, you know? So now I'm like, you know, it's okay she can't tie her shoes. 
we can get her slip-on shoes, and it's no longer an issue. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's no longer a, something on our list that we have to think about working on. Um, and it took me like it kind of took that class plus a whole lot of years of parenting, I think, to get to that point where I was like, "That's okay. It's okay if she can't." Um, balance on a two-wheel bike she's got a three-wheel bike and she loves it and she feels secure on it and that's fine like we don't have to push on that anymore right it's a good solution for her so that class i think just helped me to see that i don't know that it's okay that we just get things that fit her and we don't have to try to work on getting to all of these goals mm. we can just pick a few goals and work towards those yeah yeah, well, I think that's great that they're teaching that now, too, with instructors and all that, because that's one of the biggest things, I think, for a lot of parents of special need kids, is why should they have to be forced to adapt to something that makes it challenging for them, but rather, why can't we adapt the program or the physical uh, situation to benefit everybody? Right, right, because it really does, there are really things that can benefit everybody. And they talked about... Um, and again, I'm not going to remember this accurately, I'm right. sorry. But they talked about a lot of things that should be in a classroom um, because they help kids who have different types of needs, but they, all, they can help everybody. And I was, as I was reading through that, I um, was really kind of encouraged to see that some of the things they recommended were some of the things that I already saw in different classrooms at the school. I work at the elementary school, so I do see a lot of the different classrooms there. Mm. Um, and I was encouraged by that. I said, oh, you know, these teachers do have those in their classrooms already, and that's awesome. Yeah, I think that there's, I think that there is a lot of progress in that kind of mindset, that kind of universal design, I think, for people with all kinds of different needs. And so that's a, that's a really positive thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, uh, uh, the school district that we're in has a lot of great things going on, and yet there's also situations like with elevators in the two two-story buildings. Uh, you know, the elevators are only in, there's only one elevator in each building, you know, and they're at one end of the building, and you got to go back and forth. So, you know, little adjustments can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. And the problem, of course, is uh, getting the funding to make those happen. But oh, of course. That's, that's another debate for <laughs> some. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Right, definitely. Um, so what kind of advice would you give to parents who are just facing a diagnosis that their baby has CP? Oh, I, um, the best thing for us was definitely um, getting her involved in early intervention right away. Um, and that was something that was recommended to us by her pediatrician, um, because we, we did know right away that, that there was an issue and that she was going to have delays. Mm -hmm. um, but also early intervention is not something that requires um, a referral from a doctor. So any parent who thinks that there is a delay can call their local inter early intervention office and ask for a referral right. or ask for an evaluation. Um, and, you know, for Cala that made a big difference, just helping her develop the abilities that she does have. And honestly, for me, it made a big difference, too. Um, you know, that was, it was a hard year for me after she was born. Mm -hmm. And part of it was just the adjustment of going from working full-time to being a stay-at-home mom of twins. That's a big, that's a big adjustment. Oh, yeah. And then the fact that she had this happen, and it was just, it was very unexpected for us. It was, it was devastating. And, um, 
you know, there's so much unknown in the future when you're when you're given a diagnosis like that. Um, for Kala, her doctors really couldn't tell us; they couldn't give us much of an idea of what her future would be like. And so there was a lot of um, a lot of wondering, a lot of worrying, a lot of unknown, and that's really hard. Um, by having the therapists, you know, sometimes they would come to our house, and sometimes we would go to the school building for the therapy. And honestly, just having them to talk to made such a huge difference for me. It helped me get through that year um, because they were people who had been through so much and they had seen so many kids and they were able to talk to me about what Calla was doing and say, oh, it's really great that she can do this. Um, and they were able to kind of listen to my fears and give me kind of practical advice, things like, um, like I had some incident with um, a class that I took with, it was like a baby and mom class, and the first day we sat down and the instructor said, let's all introduce ourselves by telling us our, telling each other your birth story. Mm. And for me to talk about that in front of a group of women that I didn't know, um, just, it caught me off guard. It wasn't something I was prepared for. It wasn't something I was going to be able to get through without crying, and you know, I was talking to one of Calla's therapists about it, and she said, what you need to do is really just um, kind of think of what you're comfortable talking to people about. Kind of come up with your little story. And when people ask questions, what are you going to say to them? And kind of have that planned so that it doesn't catch you off guard and so that you know what you're comfortable saying to people. And I did that, and that made a big difference for me, and it's probably not something I would have kind of come to the conclusion on on my own until a few more instances where I had been caught off guard and was crying. So little things like that from, you know, talking to people who've been there, whether it's as a therapist or being able to find a group of parents who are in a similar situation, and even if that group is online, you know, just having a group to, um, to talk to and to, to be able to hear their stories. And I, another thing I did was I joined an online group of parents with kids with CP. Mm-hmm. And there were, um, you know, kids with all different levels of ability. But it helped me to see that these were just adorable kids who were part of a loving family, who were still leading a full life. Um, and that helped to mitigate some of my biggest fears and to see that, you know, these families have done that. And they're okay, and they're still thriving, and they're still happy, and they're still able to do a lot of things, um, despite whatever disability the child has. So I think that finding something like that where you can talk to people who have been there or you can um, you know, hear from families who have been through it a little further along than you is, is a big, it was a big help for me. Right, right. And, you know, too, just like you say, hearing stories from other parents who have been there and places to blow off steam, too, Mm -hmm. which is very important. Yeah. And to have somebody, you know, to be able to say, my child did this, you know, (laughs) and for people to say, wow, that's really a big deal and that's great. Whereas, you know, it's still something that's months behind schedule or for some people years behind schedule but for people to be able to say wow that's really an accomplishment and we know how important that is that's something that's great for parents to have too so right 
Right. And uh, what would you say to people who maybe don't have kids with CP and don't quite understand how it affects people who have it? If you could sit down and tell people, you know, it would really help if you would know this, <laughs> where would you go with that? And I hesitate to answer a question like this, honestly, because CP is so different for so many people. Right. Um, for Calla, I feel like I would say, um, and I think a lot of people know this, Calla's a great kid. You know, she's a good kid, and I think that um, her friends like her and her teachers like her, and she's, overall, she's a happy kid. But she works so hard, and she has to work so hard um, to do the things that are kind of automatic for other people. And this was, this probably is more so when she was younger and she was in elementary school, and some of this was still really challenging for her. I kind of wanted to tell other people, like, all the things that you do every day that are so natural to you, it's so much work for her. Like going in and getting her locker open and taking off her coat and taking off her boots and getting her shoes on and going into the classroom and getting her chair just where she needs it to be at her table. Like that's all work for her. Mm -hmm. Everything in that has some kind of challenge for her that most kids don't have. Um, so even by the time she goes to sit down and start school, start learning, She's, all, she's already put in, like, a pretty good amount of effort. Um, and I don't know that, that that's something that everyone realizes. And that's for Kala. Um, you know, I think that may be true for other people with CP also, that just the daily kind of moving your body around and getting situated tasks are difficult. It's, but it's, it's different for everyone. My thanks to Jenny Moo for sharing her story and experiences. You can find links to information on cerebral palsy and epilepsy on the page for this episode at specialparentsconfidential.com. We also have a link that will give you more information on the cooling cap technique. Do you have a story to share? I'm interested in hearing from more parents, including dads. What's your life been like with your special needs child? For that matter, I'm also interested in hearing from adults with special needs. What challenges did you have growing up, and what kinds of advice do you have to offer? Get in touch with us by using the Contact Us page on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>